What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. This is hit well in a center field. That one's carrying out at center. It's out of here. Oh, Johnny with a pinch hit home run. At the plate is Mike Trout. The pitch on its way. It's blasted out to dead center field. Out of here. Ball gets away. He's going to break for the plate. Ball game is over. The Angels with a walk-off win here in the bottom of the ninth inning. This is the Angels Recap Podcast, a review of the past week in Angels baseball. Here's your host, Trent Rush. What's going on and welcome to the Angels Recap Podcast. Yes, I am Trent Rush and this is a draft edition of the Angels Recap Podcast. I'm really excited uh, for what's to come in the next few days here on this podcast. Uh, Here today, we're going to have Taylor Blake Ward, who's like my draft expert. When I have questions about this, he's super connected. Uh, He's out at games in person, knows a lot of the scouts really well, has relationships with a lot of general managers uh, across baseball. So uh, Taylor Blake Ward is going to be on our show today. We're going to talk about the Angels draft. We're going to talk about what kind of players they could be interested in. We're also going to talk about the draft as a whole and how just different this year is. It's abbreviated down from 40 picks a year ago to just five this year. It's going to be very strange. There's a lot of changes to the draft this year. It's a, you know, the MLB draft is, is, has never really been appointment television. I think part of the reason is it's because it's during the season. So we'd all rather watch live baseball than essentially uh, watch a, a meeting. But uh, a meeting is what's going to happen tonight. And since we don't have live baseball to watch at this point, I think everyone's excited for what's going to go on starting at 4 o'clock today where we're going to see who may be the next generational talent uh, for a lot of different clubs. Spencer Torkelson seems to be the big name everybody's talking about, likely to go number one overall uh, out of Arizona State. I know we don't usually talk too much about Arizona State on this show. Uh, we got a lot of Wildcat fans uh, in the house here on the Angels Recap Podcast down in Tucson. But uh, Spencer Torkelson, a really great player. Uh, he's expected to go number one. Uh, there, there's a lot. Asa Lacey uh, seems to be a big left-handed uh, arm out of Texas A&M. He seems to be the pitcher everybody's gravitating towards. We're going to talk with Taylor about this, too. College pitching seems to be the strength of this draft. And, you know, it does not mean the Angels are going to go that direction because – you got to take the best available player, and you're trying to build your farm system, uh, a farm system that was trending way up and has regressed a little bit. Not necessarily uh, a bad thing because part of that regression has to do with the amount of uh, prospects that are turning into major leaguers. So that's a good thing, but they fall off the prospect list, and you're trying to get that next wave up. The Angels, you know, a lot of people describe it as top heavy with, with Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh, Jordan Adams. I think Jeremiah Jackson could be in that mix as well and then all the rest of, of their you know real great talented players are all super young and we're going to talk with Taylor Ward about that too not a bad thing to have a lot of depth like that but uh, when you're looking at a lot of the the publications and the rankings and stuff uh, those younger prospects 
don't always get as much love as the guys maybe in double and triple A that are a little closer to the major leagues. So just something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, it's you know it, everything is so fluid uh, right now in, in in so many different directions. But uh, as far as the draft is concerned, I'm excited for the Angels pick at ten. There's going to be a lot of good players available at ten, and that's going to be cool, especially in the pitching side. I, I think that you know with college pitching being a strength of this draft, you figure you know. There, there could only be three or four, you know, arms off the board by the time the Angels get to pick a ten. So the Angels should have an opportunity to go there. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of great outfield talent that they could go. Uh, you know, I, I know people are saying, "Oh man, you know, another outfielder." We got a lot of outfielders. Well, you know, sometimes you know, if that's the best available player, then that makes sense. There, there's a good catcher that's up there. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. I'm excited uh, for that. We're not going to really know for a few years how good a draft this really is. But, man, I've been talking about this on the radio, just how critical drafts are for organizations. And the Angels have actually had a fair amount of success. Uh, you look at what they did from, like, 2000 to 2016, uh, that, you know, 2016 it was Matt Theis. So that's, like, the, the last group of, like, rookies that have come up. Joe Adele was 2017. But from, from 2000 to 2016, Angels had 24 first-round picks. 18 of them made it to the major leagues. So that's pretty good. That's 75%. Considering the league average is 67%, uh, the Angels have done a pretty good job uh, in the first round. It's hard to find all-stars in the first round, though the Angels in that same span have had two, uh, being Jared Weaver and obviously Mike Trout. So Taylor Blake Ward on this podcast today, and then we're going to hear from whoever is the first-round pick of the Angels. We're going to get a chance, hopefully, uh, to talk with him in the next couple of days to get him on, a, on an upcoming podcast, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, we're going to hear from Matt Swanson soon. We're going to hear from Billy Epler soon. So a, a lot of these kind of names are going to be coming down the line here on the Angels Recap Podcast. So we're looking forward to that. But in the meantime, to get you ready for the draft tonight, let's hear from my buddy, Taylor Blake Ward. Joined now by Taylor Blake Ward. You can find him on Twitter as that. He is our draft extraordinaire. Taylor Ward in the house with us right now. Uh, Taylor, first of all, it's great to talk to you, and I really appreciate you doing this podcast, a chance to talk a little Angels baseball and some draft time. It seems like every year when it comes to draft time, uh, I know the first phone call I'm making, it's to you. So thank you for answering, and I really appreciate you uh, coming on today. Trent, man, anytime you call, I will answer. Thanks for having me on, buddy. <laughs> Good stuff. Hey, all right, so draft coming up. Uh, this podcast is coming out uh, as as the draft is happening. So I know that there are a lot of names that are being floated around for the Angels and what they're trying to accomplish uh, for this year. Just from a broad sense, what's your overall impression of what you think that Billy Epler and Matt Swanson are hoping to do with this pick at 10 for the Angels. I think they're in a really good position to see what top 10 talent could fall to them at 10. When you pick at 10, you're going to get a, arguably a top 10 talent because you're the 10th pick. But there's a chance that maybe the 5th or 6th or 7th best player in the draft does fall to 10. And I think the Angels are in a good position to be able to grab one of those players. I think that they're going to look a little bit more to the college side without that second-round pick. But I think this first-round pick is going to come down to one of those premier college players that maybe uh, maybe if you're into the amateur side of baseball things, it's going to be a name that you're very familiar with. Well, and as far as that thought process, right, and for, for people that don't always follow the draft, in theory, taking a college player, that's the pick you make that, that in, is, in some ways is supposed to be a little bit more of a sure thing, right? 
Yeah, I mean, you take a high school player, and there's a lot more risk involved because they're younger. They need more development. They're going to spend more time in the minors. When you take a college player, they can become a quick mover, and especially with where the Angels are uh, currently as a team, having a quick-moving player can assist the Major League Club a lot sooner when you have a guy like Mike Trout, who you may have heard of, Trent, I'm not sure about that one, or an Anthony Rendon, helping those guys out when they're in the middle of their prime. Sure, and that's the thing. (laughs) That's part of why, I mean, we've talked about the the coronavirus and the impact it's had on the baseball season on this podcast before, and I mean, part of it, we haven't touched too much on this, but part of the shame of the timing of this is this was supposed to be such a great year for the Halos and prime years of Trout and Rendon, who are uh, certainly uh, two two of the ten best players in all of baseball, so to not have that, um, at least right now, is disappointing, but the last time the Angels picked a 10, they were able to get Joe Adele, who, again, another rising star in the Angels system, and, you know, I you don't want to call that a home run just yet, because we haven't seen him in the big leagues, but everything looks like it's headed towards that direction, so... With this pick at 10, who are some of the names that you're seeing right now that you think the Angels could be interested in or or could possibly fall to the Angels at that 10th spot? I think one of the top college pitchers in this year's class is Reed Detmers, and he goes to Louisville. And I think that he's going to be one of those guys that may be available at 10, and I think that that's going to be one of the guys the Angels look to. Also, there's a college pitcher from Oklahoma, maybe not on the ranking systems as high as 10, but his name is Cade Cavalli out of Oklahoma. More one of those guys that uh, I think the Angels really enjoy uh, seeing, seeing what he could develop to become a very easy uh, mid to high 90s fastball, throws with a lot of ease, has a lot of upside. So there's some interest there. And Robert Hassel, he's a high school outfielder from Indiana. And I know that a lot of people listening are going to say, another high school outfielder, what? But with the draft, you want to take the best player available. And Robert Hassel is going to be up in that category uh, if he's even available. There are teams ahead of the Angels that are very interested in Robert Hassel, as well as Reed Detmers. Well, I, I guess that kind of brings me, you brought up an interesting point, Taylor, about, yes, you want to take the best player available, but we have known the Angels' need for pitching for a long time. In last year's draft, they did not go the pitching route early in the draft. But they went really heavy on pitching in the later rounds. Do you see that there really aren't later rounds this year, only going one through five? Um, do you see that changing maybe the Angels' approach that maybe they say, okay, hey, we, we might want to take a pitcher in the first round, especially knowing there's no second round pick? You know, the, the thing with the draft that's different with baseball between football and basketball, and Trent, you know this, but if you take a player in the first round, it's still going to be a year, two years, three years before they are a major league product. So it's not like you're going to be taking Kyler Murray and suddenly he's the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. Those kind of items. So you want to take the best option for your organization and how to utilize that to build your organization and your farm system. As we noted with the three players that I talked about, one was a high school outfielder and two were pitchers. And that could be a difference in looking at your organization and saying, there is a need for pitchers within our farm system, so they may lean towards the pitcher as opposed to the outfielder or a catcher or an infielder. Whatever the the system is kind of lacking, that may be the direction if you have those kind of options where you have multiple options at the top of your board and your draft model. But I think still you have to rely on best player available mentality. 
you know what I've been kind of thinking about too is with basically no high school or college baseball season this year. I mean, there was a little bit of one in February, but I mean, just a fraction of the season got played. That if you're going to look at an arm, that that could be an advantage that you know that you have a guy that's probably going to be healthy and not overly taxed. Like I think back to Griffin Canning when he came out of UCLA and the concerns there, oh, he just had so much work on him. The Angels uh, shut him down right away and the rest of him has been pretty good since he's been up and obviously is trending uh, even higher than that now. But when I think about a pick like that, okay, well, that kind of pick might not exist in this 2020 draft because there basically wasn't a college baseball season. So do you think that that's something that could lead to maybe more college pitchers being taken early this year? Do you think that's going to have any impact? I think that it could. I think a a big thing that has to be noted is the strength of this draft is the college pitching. And when you have those early season games, you're going to see pitchers uh, at their prime. You know, they've they've gone through the winter. They're throwing uh, what they've learned. They haven't hit the full season, so you don't have the full track record of what they're doing during their junior season or sophomore season. But you do have the track record of the past, and you compare your notes to what they did as freshmen or sophomores, and you saw them at least once, at least your area scouts at some point did see this player that you're going to be taking at the top end, and you're going to have new reports saying this is where the improvements came, the body's better, the fastball's better, things like that. But, yes, having them only throw X amount of innings or X amount of pitches is definitely going to assist to uh, saying, hey, you know, it's a little bit safer of a bet because uh, the arm, the, the hinge in the elbow is still, uh, there's some, there's a little bit of grease still in there. Yeah, I mean, it, we could get into some of the technicalities for how this draft is going to be this year and the way the slot money works. And, and I'm going to let the math people kind of spend some more time handling that. Basically, the way it boils down to this year is hundred grand is basically going to go to the first round, and then everything is getting deferred after that. That's part of uh, what MLB decided upon back in March. But um, w- when you're looking at the five rounds of a draft – we know that for all the Justin Uptons and the Mike Trouts and the Anthony Rendones that are first-round picks and have had all kinds of success, there's as many, if not more, Albert Pujols stories. Like, Albert, greatest hit of a generation, would not have been drafted um, in this draft based on there only being five rounds. What kind of an impact do you think that's going to have on the way this whole thing plays out? Because it's almost like there might be more excitement when the draft is over than while it's taking place. You know, it, you bring that up, and we can look back just to a few years ago. David Fletcher was a six-round pick, and, yeah. and we all know how much Angels fans love David Fletcher. And this is a guy that wouldn't have been drafted this year. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to talk about uh, when the draft ends after five rounds, you're going to have a lot of college seniors that went undrafted signing for $20,000 at a maximum. And that's going to be interesting to see how things play. There is one senior, uh, Landon Mack is, is his name, and there, he's kind of, I think he's going to end up drafted. I don't think he's going to go undrafted. But there's going to be a, maybe a handful of seniors that go drafted, and then it is going to be an arms race for who your scouts really believe in and who they want to sign and say, this guy is going to improve our farm system and our organization and we see a lot of great senior signs. I mean, uh, we talk about Cole Calhoun was an eighth-round pick who was a senior sign out of Arizona State. And there's a lot more of them that we could list off. But these seniors do have a tendency to kind of sneak up on people and suddenly become these pretty premier major league talents out of nowhere. 
Taylor, I know you're really well connected, especially with a lot of the scouts that are you know, on the ground seeing these guys, and I know you have a lot of communication with executives all across baseball. Um, what's your sense from those guys on what it's going to be like after the draft when you, you know, it's a $20,000 max you can give to these guys? It, it almost resembles to me, it, it almost kind of feels like uh, college sports recruiting is, is what it could be like because there's probably going to be a lot of teams interested and there's only so much they can pay. So have you gotten a sense from any of those people about what it could possibly be like after the draft? You know, I, I was texting a National League uh, executive the other day and I asked him essentially that same question and his reply back in the text was a shrug emoji. So yeah. It seems like even the executives, I think everyone has a concept of the attack pattern of how they want to go about going and getting these senior signs. Um, but I think there is going to be an arms race because everyone has the same amount of expenditures that they can use. It's the $20,000 maximum. So it's going to come down to, Hey, this is what our organization can provide for you. And that's where a guy like Billy Epler, who is such a great negotiator may be a little bit more beneficial when it comes to the angels. Uh, and Matt Swanson as well. Matt Swanson and Billy Up are both very good negotiators, and that may be very beneficial for the Angels moving forward. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be an arms race, but I don't think any one—I don't think any one team really has a full concept of how this is going to play out. Yeah, I mean, it's just strange to think about. I mean, it's it's new rules. It's the Wild West. It's almost like anything goes. And, um, you know, maybe down the road there will be a little bit more structure to this. But it, it does seem really interesting to me what's going to happen afterwards. And, and I was saying this on the radio the other day. It's almost like, you know, it's not totally uncommon for baseball. I mean, it was only in 97 when they started even doing a conference call for the draft. I mean, before that it was, um, you know, you had to really search for how players are going to get drafted. So, um um, that that to me is interesting because you know there's so many guys that can be taken after that fifth round, and uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how all that plays out. Taylor, I want to go back uh, to what we were talking about a, a moment ago about just the status of where the Angels are at as an organization when it comes to depth. Um, they are a, a team that had the worst farm system in baseball when Billy Epler take over or took over. He made a lot of progress, got uh, pretty high up there. Some people had him in the the top 10 it's fallen back a bit since partly because they've had to graduate a lot of prospects but uh what's your sense right now of where this angels farm system is and and just how critical this draft is for the halos you know there are a lot of very talented young men who have not really developed into what they can become and that's why the angels farm system has a lot of questions because you have a lot of kids down in arizona and rookie ball with orem even in the Dominican with the uh, Dominican affiliate, they, you just don't know what the product is going to be when all is said and done. And there's a lot of upside, a lot of athleticism. And I think that until those players really blossom and they start getting into the higher levels of the minors, I think the Angels farm system is still going to rank maybe in the back half of baseball. Obviously, it's top-heavy with Joe Adele, who we mentioned earlier, Brandon Marsh, very talented hitter who has a chance to be a very good defender as well in the outfield. And you have Jordan Adams last year, last year's first round pick, or two years ago, I'm sorry, two years ago, hit the first round pick for the Angels, who is this absurd athlete who is a big time football player. Suddenly you put a bat in his hands and he's hitting above average in low A. And that's remarkable for a kid that's 18, 19 years old to just pick up a bat, be a really good athlete and say, you know, hey, I think I'm pretty good at this baseball thing and I'm going to sign for a couple million dollars and be an angel in the future. And I think that 
the raw talent of Jordan Adams, once he gets seeing some very uh, challenging pitchers, a little bit more solidified pitchers in single A, that's going to be a guy that suddenly kind of starts kicking around, and, and you're going to start talking about Jordan Adams as a potential top 100 uh, prospect, I think. Yeah. Also, you have a few pitchers that are very interesting. Chris Rodriguez, uh, Jose Soriano, who had Tommy John uh, surgery, sadly. Some of these guys are going to become uh, relievers, but even uh, you know, if one of them stays a starter and you have another Griffin Canning in the future, that's a very beneficial thing. So it's, I think with the Angels farm system above everything else is you're in a waiting pattern seeing how some of these very young prospects very green prospects are going to be uh, developed and become players of the future here. Yeah, the way it seems to me, Taylor, it's that there's a handful of guys that are at the the big top of a lot of people's lists, like the three names that you were talking about, and then there seems to be a gap and a lot of questions, kind of like you're saying. Uh, but boy, it just it seems like the Angels system is extremely young. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, very fair assessment. I mean, uh, last year's second-round pick, Kyron Paris, is about the same age now as most of the high schoolers are going to be taken in the draft. I mean, he, he is incredibly young, uh, signed very similar to what a lot of the Latin American kids signed for. Also, you have a lot of those new uh, international signings from Latin America that Billy Epler has made along with Carlos Gomez. And it's going to be interesting to see how some of these kids play out. It's going to be names that a lot of people aren't familiar with, like Alexander Ramirez, Errol Vera, Adrian Placencia. But these are some very interesting prospects that two, three years down the line, I think are going to be someone that uh, I think Angels fans are going to start familiarizing themselves with these names in the very near future. But like you said, just very young. A lot of these guys aren't even 18 years old. And, and Trent, it, I mean, you and I, when we were 18 years old a, a million years ago, right, it, we weren't half the, the baseball players that any of these guys are. Well, sure. I mean, who who is? And uh, there, there's not that many of them. And, and what's impressive is I, I just think that the Angels have done a really good job of, of being aggressive in the Caribbean and, and trying to find unique ways to acquire talent. And Billy Upler has been really good about that. Um, let, let's talk about the draft as a whole, Taylor, because for the casual baseball fan that's familiar with major leaguers and maybe knows who Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh is, and now kind of, hey, they got to watch something tonight. We don't have baseball right now. So, Let's watch the draft. Let's see what's coming. The stars of tomorrow will be on display, and it seems like, at least in one sense, that Spencer Torkelson from Arizona State seems to be that sure thing uh, top prospect in this draft. Who are some of the, the big names that uh, we're going to see taken tonight and maybe what you like about them? As you mentioned, Spencer Torkelson. I mean, it, this is a premier bat. Could turn into a Freddie Freeman kind of guy from the right side. Uh, Pete Alonzo is a very popular comparison with uh, Spencer Torkelson. He did break Barry Bonds' freshman record at Arizona State. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that guy, Barry Bonds. But there's a few very talented uh, hitters and pitchers in this class. I think you have to start with Austin Martin. He's a kind of a positionless player out of Vanderbilt. He's been playing third base for them. But he's also been, you know, he's a guy that you could develop as a shortstop. You could develop him as an outfielder. You could play him up the middle at second base. You could play him at third base. He gets a lot of Alex Bregman type of comparisons. And Alex Bregman, very talented player. You've got Nick Gonzalez, who is out of New Mexico State, a second baseman. He plays shortstop now. His future is likely at second base. But a very good pure hitter. Uh, draws comparisons to Kesson Hira out of UC Irvine. Trent, yeah. I know you're familiar with him. Kesson's a great player. 
Oh, absolutely, with the Milwaukee Brewers there. So, I mean, these are the kind of players that you're going to see taken later tonight. And I think one of my favorite guys is Zach Veen. He's an outfielder out of Florida, Spruce Creek High School. He draws comparisons to Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger, who are both MVP caliber players. Now, I think those comparisons are a bit unfair. I think all comparisons are unfair. But the fact that those are the names that you're being compared to, I think, is a very large uh, item to have when you're a high school player. And that's the, that speaks for the talent of this draft is there could be a future MVP coming out of this draft at the top, whether it be Spencer Torkelson, Zach Veen, Nick Gonzalez, Asa Lacey, the top pitcher in the class out of Texas A&M, big lefty who is likely going to go in the first three picks tonight. These are the names I think you're going to start familiarizing yourself with in the future. And suddenly, you know, it, a lot of American League teams are picking their uh, at the front of the draft. You've got Detroit, you got Kansas City, and I, and you got Seattle as well. Seattle right there at six, who so the Angels see very often. So these are names that you may start familiarizing yourself, whether they uh, they're enemies of Angels fans or someone that you just <laughs> like watching because they're they're very talented baseball players. Well, I know you're high on Veen because you have him at four on your uh, latest mock draft that I was taking a look at, and you have uh, at ten you have Reed Detmers, who you mentioned before, uh, left-handed pitcher out of Louisville, as uh, who the Angels would have in your mock draft at ten. But yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like there's a lot of talent here. I, I think that this is a a hard draft to kind of gauge in the sense that you didn't get that late movement this year because there really wasn't a season. At least it didn't seem like there was all that much late movement. I am kind of curious, just from your perspective, Taylor, how has preparing for the 2020 draft from your perspective been compared to other years when you've tried to get ready for the draft and doing mocks and seeing reports? How has this been different? You know, I had to learn how to use Zoom. I've had to learn how to use Uber conference calls. I've had to uh, put extra minutes on my phone. I mean, I'm kidding. I have unlimited minutes, but you start talking on the phone nonstop. And it's been for the last three, four months talking to people, uh, scouts, executives. And it's very different from years past because in years past, you would have, you know, Southern California usually has a few first round talents that are in that fir- uh, first round category here in Southern California. And suddenly you see someone like, Dave Dombrowski at the game, or you see Billy Epler at the game, or you see Farhan Zaidi at the game, and you're like, hmm, you know, maybe this team has interest in this player, and then you have to kind of decide which one is a smoke screen, which one is not. But those are kind of how those things play out. And this year, it's it's a lot different. It's a lot more phone calls. It's a lot more trusting in sources that sometimes, uh, sometimes those are agents, sometimes those are executives, sometimes they're scouts. And trusting those sources is really kind of how you have to play things when it comes to assessing a mock draft and seeing how the draft is going to play out. Yeah, we've even seen some stuff uh, earlier this week. It's been very interesting, and you see it in all the sports. But now with baseball taking center stage as far as the draft is concerned, um, it, we're seeing it in this sport, too. It's funny. I, people aren't used to like watching the baseball draft, I don't think, yet, just because it's so relatively new compared to the others. But uh, I think tonight's going to be a fun night. I'm excited for the Angels' 10th pick uh, after what was such a disappointing 2019 season. The silver lining is you do get a top-10 pick this year, and I'm looking forward to seeing maybe the Next, Joe Adele, um, certainly hoping uh, that it's going to be a, a great player the Angels get and somebody that can help this team right away. Taylor, where can we follow you I, if you want to see a last-minute mock draft or, or just stay up to speed on your thoughts as these draft picks are coming in? What's the best way for Angels fans to find where you are? You know, you can follow me on Twitter at Taylor Blake Ward. Usually most of my work is posted there. Also, you can check us out at LockedOnAngels.com. And 
Trent, thanks as always for uh, chatting baseball with me, man. I, I love chatting baseball with you. It was a real pleasure being on. Hey, thanks, man. I wish we could do it more right now. I, I, you know what? I wish we had games that we could talk about. We can talk about baseball anytime. I wish we had games to be talking about. But I, I'm staying optimistic. I think it's going to happen soon, and, and hopefully that these two sides can get a deal done and uh, we can get back to uh, enjoying our beautiful game. TB Dub, thanks, dude. Got to appreciate the great wealth of knowledge from Taylor Blake Ward, uh, host that Locked On Angels podcast, and also his his mock drafts for the draft every year. I, I read all of them. He's pretty good. I, I don't know what his success rate is exactly, but I just know that if you see, you know, if you look at Taylor's draft, he's usually within two or three picks of being right. I mean, he's he's very good and has a very good sense of how the draft is going to play out and a, a good job evaluating of, of the kind of players that these guys are. So uh, good stuff uh, from Taylor, and I appreciate uh, just getting a little extra insight. I know this is, you know, for me, I do a lot of college baseball games, but I, I usually don't start doing those games, um, calling play-by-play, until about mid-March in April. And this year I didn't do a single college baseball game. Yeah, it was just bizarre, but that helps me usually get a pretty good sense of at least the the, the California players and, and the college players and knowing who some of those names are nationally. I'm a big college baseball fan. I love the College World Series every year. Uh, one of my dreams is to go to Omaha. I haven't been yet. So I would love to go to Omaha some year and see the College Baseball World Series, but um, you know we didn't get that chance this year. So I, I feel like I've gone a little bit blind into this uh, draft this year. So uh, thanks to Taylor for helping us out a little bit in that sense you know uh, we've had a chance to talk about a lot of different topics uh, both on this show and then I also do the sports page Monday through Friday on AM 830 it airs between 6 and noon and uh, you know basically my sports column for the day and we do the sports updates there as well but on the sports page we talked about a lot of different topics Um, we've also talked a lot about the Angels humble beginnings and they really were I mean I I still kind of laugh about how the Angels first front office was above a bar on Hollywood and Vine I'm just like picturing, um, you know, Billy Epler and Matt Swanson and all the and all the uh, scouts now, and and everyone's involved. Everyone's sitting above a bar on Hollywood and Vine. Like it, it's just so different today. But that's how it was uh, back when Gene Autry bought the team initially in the early '60s. And um, you know, heck, that 1962 team was actually pretty good. You think about Bo Belinsky and uh, Daddy Wags, Leon Wagner, Lee Thomas, Jim Fergosi, Buck Rogers, uh, who was early in his career. Uh, Dean Chance once said that uh, anyone that was on that '62 team knows it was the best. Angels team ever. They just had so much fun. So uh, for for whatever reason, uh, those days uh, above that bar on Hollywood and Vine that seemed to work out okay. I mean, in the club's sophomore campaign in 62, they were in the hunt all year. They were above the Mantle Marys Yankees at the 4th of July. Uh, fell off a little bit in the second half, but uh, still was a great run. Uh, but from that came a couple of thoughts regarding their home. For one, they were actually better on the road than they were in their home ballpark, which is crazy to think about now. Uh, probably because they didn't even really even have their true home. They were the tenants at the sparkly new Dodger Stadium, which in theory should have been an upgrade from where they were before, which was a glorified minor league park that was called Wrigley Field here in L.A., but uh, who's to say? Wrigley, I, I think, kind of gets a bad rap because it was small, but my goodness, it had charm and history. While one of the Pacific Coast League ballparks, Joe DiMaggio played there with the Seals, Ted Williams, the Padres, Casey Stengel managed there with the Oaks. Uh, then on the club's first major league opening day, 1961, Ty Cobb threw out the first pitch, which ended up being Cobb's last public appearance, believe it or not. Uh, in the stands that day, Groucho Marx, Joe Cronin, Ford Frick, baseball commissioner, not to mention a rising political star 
Yeah, Richard Nixon was there while Tony Martin sang the national anthem. I mean, what a day. Now, Gene Autry's club did struggle a bit in that first and only year at Wrigley. It was a very hitter-friendly ballpark. In fact, some people complain that Roger Maris getting a hit there uh, might affect the Babes record. But, you know, we know now that people complained about everything when it came to Maris versus Ruth. But in nine games, Maris did hit two of his 61 home runs that year at Wrigley Field. The ballpark allowed the most home runs in a year in baseball history uh, that season. So uh, if you want to go full circle, it was actually Steve Bilko who hit the last homer there. The same Bilko that played for the PCL Angels and was taken uh, in the expansion draft. Uh, But despite all the charm and the Spanish clock tower and the architecture, it was simply too small for Big League Baseball. Only sat about 20,000 fans. Though the first year, the Angels only averaged 8,000 anyway, so maybe it didn't make that much of a difference. Uh, It was a great TV set for commercials and uh, shows like Home Run Derby, which you can still watch today. I saw an episode of Home Run Derby on YouTube a couple of weeks ago, uh, which is really cool. But uh, that might have been what Walter O'Malley intended it to be, not a Big League ballpark, because he did own Wrigley when it was sold to him and essentially tried to force the Angels to play there that first year before they became tenants at Dodger Stadium. So while at Chavez Ravine, O'Malley made the Halos pay for the landscaping, the parking lot, which the Angels didn't get a share of. They had to pay a $350,000 indemnification fee. It was brutal, and Autry knew that the Angels needed out. So where would they go? You know, the first stop was actually Long Beach, believe it or not, before a problem in negotiation. See, Long Beach wanted the club to be called the Long Beach Angels. Autry didn't want that. He wanted Los Angeles Angels or California Angels. Thus, a deal never got done. Uh, but in this next stop in Anaheim, Autry was already familiar with the town thanks to his relationship with Walt Disney Anaheim then mayor Rex Coons said he could care less about the name because he said in every broadcast and news day Anaheim would be on there so by 1966 the California Angels were reborn in their brand new home which had a giant A out in left field that's going to do it for us here on our show uh, today. Do appreciate Taylor Blake Ward for coming on the podcast. Thanks to all of you for subscribing, uh, for giving us a rating, a review. That means a ton to us. And thanks for following along each and every week. I know it's been tough uh, without live baseball games to watch. Uh, I, I remain optimistic that that is coming soon. I don't know what soon means, but I, I, I just, I'm ready for it. I was telling somebody the other day, my birthday is in August. I really hope I'm watching a baseball game on my birthday. That's my, uh, that's my dream. Uh, for 2020 that that would be the the best gift anyone could possibly give me so that's what i'm looking forward to um you know baseball coming and the draft tonight and hopefully we're gonna get a chance uh, to hear from all the major players uh, at the end of the draft that we're gonna have for you here on the podcast coming up so uh for everybody the angels recap podcast my name is trent rush have a great rest of your day and enjoy the draft tonight take care